Please stand if you are able. John chapter 6, verse number 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your Jewish fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they are now dead. This, pointing to himself, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread, this is that bread, which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now please go back to Matthew 26. Four more verses. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We'll add verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Heavenly Father, I pray that we once again might be able to express in some fashion the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that the children of God may rejoice in that gospel and the lost might hear of Christ, be redeemed. We pray that you would prepare our hearts for our observance of the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How is it that one person can read a passage of the scripture, another person read it, and they come with two different conclusions reading the same uh, two dozen words, three dozen words? One explanation is that we have a storehouse of information tucked away in our heads and in our hearts. And as we are reading, those definitions, those traditions that we have learned, automatically come to our minds, coloring what we have just read, what we've just studied. 
Sometimes this is helpful. We can lean back on things that we have learned and move on into new things, assuming that we have learned things correctly the first time. If we're mixed up in what we have learned, there's no telling where we will go as we proceed farther. I confess to reading Matthew 26 and wanting to begin a message on the Lord's Supper, taking most of my points from Paul's instructions in Corinthians. But perhaps we should step back, try to listen to what the Savior is saying, and try to understand what the disciples are hearing under these circumstances. They aren't looking at the Lord's Supper. They don't know exactly what it is they're looking at, what they're experiencing. You might say this was the first observance of the Lord's Supper. But is that what John saw? Is that what Peter perceived? They were just moving from step to step under the direction of the Lord Jesus. Rather than 1 Corinthians 11 in the back of their minds, perhaps it was John chapter 6 which took place before Matthew chapter 26. In John 6, Jesus had fed the 5,000 there on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Then they took that arduous journey across the sea to the other side. And in the meantime, others were following them, some on land and some in ships, following the Lord Jesus. When news of the miraculous feeding of so many people reached the city where they disembarked, Jesus and his disciples were besieged with requests for more food. Feed us again. We like this free fish, free bread, and all of this stuff. And that prompted a special lesson, beginning with the words, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And then that moved all the way over into verse uh, 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. The majority of Jesus' audience completely misunderstood what Christ was saying there in John 6. And people today still misunderstand this discussion about eating the flesh of Christ, drinking the blood of Christ, they somehow think it to mean by this literal consumption, they are earning to themselves salvation. They read the same thing that I read and they come out with a different conclusion. When Jesus initiated this special meal in chapter uh, 26, following the Passover, the disciples, to some degree, understood. The doors were closed. Everybody else was out. It was the Lord's church, those uh, intimate with Christ, who received that Lord's Supper. The Lord was using the, the juice of the vine. He was using the bread as illustrations of his flesh and of his blood. The Lord's Supper is purely symbolic. It is emblematic, a beautiful illustration of the broken body, the shed blood of our Savior. I think what Jesus did in the upper room that night before he was crucified 
I think it's self-explanatory. I, I, of course, I have some background. It all makes sense to me. But the scripture from John 6 is a bit more confusing. The foolishness of man has polluted Jesus' blessed words, changing them into a spiritual poison. Churches all across this country on this particular day, thousands of them, I'm sure, Catholic, Protestant, non-confrontational, are preaching a heresy that are killing the people who are listening, spiritually poisoning them. Millions of people throughout this day received communion. Some of them call it the Mass, believing they were literally eating the flesh of Christ. Literally. But what they were actually doing is swallowing a spiritually toxic toxin in preparation for their own demise, a heresy. I hope this evening to explain what the Lord Jesus meant by his words here in chapter 26 in the light of John 6. To set the background, on the earlier occasion, Christ Jesus spoke of the blessing of eternal life. Did you notice the first verse that we read? John 6, 47. He said, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And he prefaced those words with, Verily, verily, this is important. Amen, amen. Truly, truly, you listen to this. This is for your eternal blessing. Please listen up. And when he said those words, he was also making a statement about a very cold shadow that follows it. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And, logically speaking, he that doesn't believe on me does not have eternal life. One of the conclusions we are forced to make is that not everybody has eternal life. Just as uh, the man in a coma may have life, he doesn't have the same life that, that I have. And just because someone may live in post falls, that doesn't mean that he has eternal life. That is what the Lord Jesus wanted his Jewish hearers to understand. There's a difference between physical life, physical manna, eternal life, and this bread from heaven who is Christ himself. What is it about eternal life that makes it so special? We talked about that last week. First of all, it's eternal. It doesn't come to an end. Also, those who have eternal life shall be raised from physical death. Don't worry about the meaning of the first part of verse 54 just yet, but Jesus said, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then Matthew 25, 46 teaches the opposite of eternal life, which is eternal judgment. Death in judgment. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. To live eternally means to live in eternal glory with Christ our Savior. Eternal life means a new kind of eternal body. 
For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Eternal life is guaranteed only to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, moving from the blessing to the bread, we must look at Christ Jesus. Here in our scripture we read, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Did they think they were eating the actual flesh of Christ? It was bread. And in the scripture of John 6, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that if a man eat thereof, he shall not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. To say, just prior to that lesson, the Lord miraculously fed 5,000 people or more. The second half of the chapter is spent on the results of that miracle, giving Christ an opportunity to do some very serious teaching. And part of that instruction dealt with the question of food. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. That's what you're interested in. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. They said, Oh, Lord, give us more of this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He that believeth on me. Jesus used the words meat and bread as though they represent the nourishment that our souls need. Just as we need certain foods every day to stay healthy and physically alive, we need Christ Jesus in order to have life spiritually and eternally. Perhaps you know the story of Ponce de Leon. After conquering Puerto Rico, this Spanish explorer wanted to have more. But what good is more if you run out of time to enjoy it? When he heard that a little to the northwest was something called Bimini or Bimini, he became one of the first Europeans in the North American continent. Why was he here? He was, uh, he was the poster child for the sin of greed. He scoured Florida looking for the fountain of youth. 
I'm getting all this gold, I'm getting all these riches, I'm getting all this uh, uh, publicity and glory, but uh, if I'm going to die in 20 years, what good is it? He wanted to live forever. He didn't find it. Couldn't find it. There is no eternal life springing from the soil or from a drinking fountain. There is no eternal life in a gymnasium or a doctor's office or education. It's not to be found in alcoholism or abstinence from alcohol. But it does exist. It exists in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the fountain of life. I am the bread of life. He that hath the Son hath eternal life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's a pretty simple equation. You have Christ, you have eternal life. How do we have Christ? Ah. There is the eating of this bread. Why is it that so many people think that by devouring a piece of religious bread... They are ingesting eternal life or earning eternal life or whatever it is they happen to twist it to become. Why is it that the vast majority of Christendom thinks that through the Mass or uh, the Lord's Supper or communion, people are receiving the eternal salvation of God? Most people would answer, well, that's what he told me. And he might say, well, that's what the Bible says. Wait a minute now. Are you sure that's what the Bible says? It is absolutely, definitely not what the Lord Jesus tells us. Eating this cracker, this bread, gives us eternal life. Once again, what does verse 47 say we must do to possess eternal life? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's John chapter 6. Does the verse say, he that eateth on me hath everlasting life? He that uh, cheweth on me hath everlasting life? He that swalloweth me hath everlasting life? He that digests me has everlasting life? Like dozens of other scriptures, it says that eternal life is given to those whose faith is in Christ Jesus. That's it. I could give you lots of scriptures. You know those scriptures. There's not a single word to these disciples telling them that receiving communion or baptism, whatever, they were being saved. They're told to trust Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And then he said, I am the bread of life. Unlike the manna that your forefathers ate in the days of Moses. All those ancient Jews are dead. Turned into dust. They were not eating true heavenly bread. I am the living bread. The bread that is alive. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Eat of this bread. Now, where is Christ Jesus today? About 2,000 years ago, he ascended into heaven. 
Where is Christ? He's with the Father in a place that we call heaven. And even if someone doesn't know where Christ is, it should be quite obvious that He is not here. He's not with us. As I look around the room, I recognize every one of you. I think you were all in camp last week. I recognize all of you. And I'm absolutely positive that Christ is not here. Furthermore, I don't think I've ever seen him among us in the last 32 years that I have been here. He's not been here at all. We don't have any frozen, pickled, smoked, dried, or otherwise, otherwise packaged parts of Christ for us to devour. That is ridiculous. If it was necessary for you to actually and literally eat Christ's flesh and drink His blood in order to have eternal life, then not a single one of us would have eternal life. But Jesus didn't say, you have to take communion or the Mass or the Lord's Supper to go to heaven. Didn't he say, except you eat the, son of, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you? Doesn't that say exactly the same thing? It doesn't say the same thing. Not at all. That is what Jesus said. But I deny that Jesus ever meant those words to be taken literally. He gave to the disciples here in chapter 26 a piece of bread. He said, this is my flesh. This, in other words, is a picture of my flesh, represents my flesh. I could reach into my wallet and show you a picture of Judy, and I could say, this is my wife. When you know perfectly well she's over there, this picture's not her. Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This doesn't mean that they simply wondered how he could do it. The question is, this is morally impossible. Please remember the, the dietary restrictions under which the Jews lived. There, uh, there were many things they could not eat. They certainly wouldn't eat themselves, except under horribly wicked situations. It happened a time or two. They were not to drink blood or to cook with blood. The animals were to be drained of their blood. And here is Christ saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. This was contrary to the logic of those people. It didn't fit at all. The Jews perhaps misunderstood what the Lord was saying but that misunderstanding has gone on and on and on throughout history. It's still misunderstood. But Jesus was talking about eating and drinking by faith, not by biting and chewing and swallowing. When heretical churches became convinced of the heretical idea of eating Christ, they had a problem. Like us, 
They couldn't find a Christ to eat. He wasn't there. They had to come up with some divine flesh or they couldn't possess eternal life because they tied these two things together. So with various forms of stupidity, insanity, and heresy, they have miraculously transformed bread and wine, cookies and grape juice, Coke and hamburgers, into the body and blood of Christ. Through prayer, through ritual, church after church somehow changed the bread and wine into flesh and blood. It doesn't look like flesh and blood. It doesn't smell like flesh and blood. It doesn't feel like flesh and blood. But it is flesh and blood because we have declared that it is. Not logical. Admittedly, some don't go quite that far. Most Protestants only say that with or within the bread is the body of Christ. So there are some ideas manipulated within that. But still they're saying that in the Lord's Supper, they are somehow eating the flesh of Christ. Now, where in the verses that we have read from John 6, does the Lord Jesus use the words communion, the Lord's Supper, the Mass? If you aren't familiar with the chapter, I can assure you there's no hint of these things anywhere in that chapter. In fact, it can't be found in chapter 5 or chapter 7 either. So just take the whole context. It's not there. In fact, there is no such thing as communion until we come near the end of Jesus' life, about 10 chapters later on. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in Matthew 14, but the Lord's Supper wasn't instituted until Matthew 26. If Christ meant that his supper would be the method of receiving eternal life, then why didn't he institute the Lord's Supper in John 6 or Matthew 14? The answer is obvious. The Lord's Supper was never meant for the purpose of our salvation. It is a commemoration of what Christ has done for us. One of the men crucified with Christ was promised, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Either that man went to paradise without possessing eternal life, or eternal life is not contingent on the Lord's Supper. And how many people were there who died as Christians during Jesus' earthly ministry who never partook of the Lord's Supper? They died as Christians possessing eternal life, but they never received the Lord's Supper. When the Lord finally did sit down with his disciples, blessing the bread and passing the cup, were all of the 70 preachers there? No, just 12. What about the ladies, the Christian ladies? None of them were present. Was the Lord barring them from eternal life because they couldn't partake of his table? No, not at all. On the other hand, did Mary Magdalene or any of the others partake of the true bread of life? Absolutely. They most certainly did. But they did so but by believing on Him. Trusting Him as the Lord instructed. They possessed eternal life by faith. 
They were living spiritually through Christ just as they were alive physically because they ate physical food. Well then, what's the purpose of the Lord's Supper if it isn't eternal life? Casting aside all our uh, traditions and preconceived errors, what was it that the Lord actually said? Turn to 26.26, Matthew again. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, real bread, probably a flat bread. He blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We read that same sort of thing in Mark and Luke. Clearly the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to commemorate the sacrifice of Jesus' body and blood. What Christ and his disciples were doing here in Matthew 26 was commemorating the upcoming sacrifice of Christ. It's something that we do periodically in remembrance of what Christ has done and that very word is used in this regard. The elements of the fruit of the vine and the bread represent the body and flesh or the blood and flesh of the Lord Jesus in exactly the same way that it did on that night in Matthew chapter 26. And just to make sure we got it right, the Holy Spirit brings up the subject again in 1 Corinthians, which we will turn to in just a few minutes. What's the purpose of the Lord's Supper? It's to illustrate and to commemorate and to celebrate the death of Christ for our salvation. If it's taken for any other reason than this commemoration and glorification and fellowship with Christ, then it is heresy. Serious, serious false doctrine. Idolatry in many cases. Our need of the Lord's Supper today is not for our salvation. It is for our fellowship on two planes. Christ brought His church together and they fellowshiped as a unit in, uh, in, in unison looking to the Savior. There's a fellowship within the congregation and then there's that fellowship with the Lord who shed His blood and whose body was broken for our salvation. If you don't possess eternal life, you don't need communion. You don't need the Lord's Supper. You need the Savior. Yes. You need to repent and reach out to Christ, trusting Him and His saving grace. Amen. Tonight we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper.